Good morning, everyone. Welcome this morning to Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. My name is Jeff Birch, and I'm the pastor here at LOPC, and it is a joy to welcome you. Whether you're here in person or on the live stream, we are thrilled that you have chosen to worship with us. If you're a visitor here this morning, we offer a very, very warm welcome to you. We are thrilled you've chosen to worship with us. We hope as you came in, you were greeted warmly and handed one of our visitor bags, a goodie bag that gives you some nice, I'll call them nice parting gifts. And I'm always looking for different ways to word that. Nice parting gifts and some information about the life of the church, who we are, who we aspire to be. One of the things that we emphasize here are relationships. We desire to love God, love one another, love our community. I would like to ask all of you, if you're on the end of an aisle, if you would get the friendship pads that are there in your chairs, get it started, pass it down to your neighbor. That gives us the opportunity to uh, get to know you a little bit better and know if you are here. Several different announcements that I would want to make. You can always bring your bulletins home and read all of them, so I won't be comprehensive, but just a couple of them to point out. Next week, uh, the 5th of March, we have very special guests with us, Dan and Rebecca Gregor. I got that right. I've been practicing to make sure uh, I say their names correctly. Missionaries with MTW, which is, for those of you who don't know, in our denomination, the PCA, uh, MTW is our global, our world missions arm. And so they are working in Slovakia. They will be here. So if you are interested, they will be doing a Sunday school class at 9.15 and then giving an update during the morning worship service. So we would encourage you uh, to do that. I also want to encourage you to keep in prayer the Grief Share Ministry. See Norma Graham if you have any questions regarding that. It is still not too late to sign up for Deacon Assistance. And that is, if you sign up for Deacon Assistance, can I give you an assurance here? There are no meetings involved. This is probably the best ministry to be a part of that you don't have to attend a meeting. I don't know about you, but I think that's a good thing. That is just if there is an area, even one area, where you feel like you can help out in the church. Maybe it's picking up bulletins after the service or helping with the ushers or cleaning up outside. Sign up, let the deacons know they would love to have your assistance in terms of that. And next week, you know, we have our ESL. ESL stands for English as a Second Language. That ministry is going strong. We're really encouraged about that. One of the families in there is expecting their first child, and ESL is hosting a baby shower, a baby party for them. And so they're doing that just from 5.30 to 6 uh, next week, next Sunday. And so if you are interested in popping in, sharing the love of Christ with them, just what community and hospitality and fellowship is all about, we'd love to have you be a part of that. Russell Puppy can answer any questions you have regarding that, but we just make you aware of that. So there are more things you can read about, more things going on. I just want to highlight those few things. And now we are blessed to have Mary Strickland lead us in the prelude.
Amen. Amen. Indeed, he is a good, good father who is perfect in all of his ways, faithful and kind and loving to us. Our call to worship this morning is from Psalm 29, verses 1 and 2. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Father, you are a good, good Father. We thank you that in and through Jesus Christ you love us, you've reconciled us to yourself, you have adopted us into your family, you have adopted us as sons and daughters, and you have given us your spirit, pouring out your love into our hearts by the spirit whom you have given to us. We ascribe glory to you for all that you are and all that you do. And we invoke your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to join with us that we may respond to your goodness and glory in praise of who you are. We pray that you would strengthen us and enable us to praise you. Warm and melt our hearts by your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing, Crown Him with Many Crowns.
One of the things we learn from the scriptures is how ruthlessly honest and realistic the scriptures are. So in Genesis 6-5, which is beginning the narrative arc, so to speak, with Noah, we have God's assessment of the human condition and why we're all, forgive me, I don't mean to make a Noah joke, we're all in the same boat. <laughs> and we truly need the ark of God's grace and love and mercy. It says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. If anybody reads that, if you have a high view of Scripture, so if you're believing in the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture, and you walk away and you still think that our flesh, our natural man, is good, every intention of the thoughts so internally of man's heart is only evil continually. In other words, our natural bent is we're allergic to God. We have an allergy to God, and only by God's intervention. So if we're here this morning, praise God, it's by his grace. I want to offer us a few moments to go before the Lord in a time of confession, to be honest, knowing as we just praised God, saying, all hail, Redeemer, hail, for thou hast died for me. So where we can't save ourselves, God sent his Son. Heaven came down to earth to reconcile us to himself. And so we can admit our condition. We can admit the state of our hearts. We can admit our need of grace and fly to him. Let me give you a few moments to engage and confess personally, and then I will lead us in and we will pray together this corporate confession of sin. Let's pray. Let us pray together. Merciful Lord, we confess that with us there is an abundance of sin, but in you there is the fullness of righteousness and abundance of mercy. We are spiritually poor, but you are rich, and in Jesus Christ came to be merciful to the poor. Strengthen our faith and trust in you. We are empty vessels that need to be filled. Fill us. We are weak in faith, strengthen us. We are cold in love, warm us, and make our hearts fervent for you. 
that our love may go out to one another and to our neighbors. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And the assurance of pardon is from Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. One of the things we constantly need in our Christian lives is to have our distorted views of God change to bring them more into conformity with what the scriptures say. And this is so counterintuitive to what we expect. I don't know about you. I expect if I do good, I'll be blessed. If I do good, people will like me. If I do good, it's okay. If I do bad, bad things happen. That's the way I at least think the world works. Not so with God, because of Jesus Christ. We're insufficient. We're not good enough. We're not adequate. We blow it all the time. And look at what this says. The Lord waits. It's his character to be gracious to you. And he exalts himself to show mercy to you. Friends, and I'm speaking to my heart as much as I'm speaking to the rest of us. Let's receive the mercy and grace. Let's stand together and sing, Is He Worthy?
the one who is worthy of all glory and honor invites us to come and commune with him. He bends his ear to hear us as we plea for mercy. We will pray together in unison the Lord's Prayer, and then I will lead us in a pastoral prayer. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The scriptures tell us, let the one who boasts, boast in this. May he not boast in his riches, may he not boast in his strength, may he not boast in his power, but may he boast in the Lord. Father, I pray that, that we as your people, your treasured possession, would boast in you. Lord, we are so mindful of our need of you as there are so many who are suffering. We think about this day, the Porter family, and we lift them up before you. We pray for those who have suffered loss in recent days and weeks and months. We pray for those who are facing surgery, medical tests, waiting news from medical tests. Lord, we live in a world, if we look at the world alone, it is so dangerous and it is so insecure. Remind us and help us to remember that you are our refuge and every, very present strength in trouble. And the psalmist says, therefore, we will not fear. But when we are afraid, we trust in you. So, Lord, help us to pour out our hearts to you. Help us to plead to you for mercy. Help us to run to you for our strength and our shield. Help us in whatever we're going through to turn to you, our God and our Father, and to know that those who come to you, those that you draw to yourself, you will in no way cast them out that our ultimate security is in you. So, Lord, give us the ability to embrace Jesus. And Father, we thank you for the ministry of the church. We pray this morning for our staff, our ministry leaders, our elders and deacons. We thank you for the choir, the women's ministry, home fellowship group leaders, Sunday school teachers, all who are working with Sheds of Hope, with Mercy Ministry and Benevolence Ministry, there are so many doing so many positive and good things. Thank you for your work in our midst. And we do pray that we would be light in the darkness. That you would teach us more and more what it means to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Because the light of the glory of God shines in and through his people. Father, help us to be the people you call us to be. Help us to grow in grace, to cultivate your grace and mercy in our lives, that we would follow you more and more. Thank you for who you are. Help us, even as we turn to your word in a few moments, open our hearts to the teaching of your word. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be our teacher. And we pray knowing that yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. In Jesus' name, amen.
have Bibles, I invite you to turn in them, or I should say on your devices, whatever you have, that gives you access to God's scriptures. We are continuing our study of Paul's letter to the Romans, and we are in chapter 10. We will be looking at this morning, verses 5 to 13. And as a reminder, as we are continuing in this study of Paul's letter to the Romans, what is Paul doing? He is speaking to this multicultural, diverse church in the capital city of the empire, Rome, and he's retelling the story of Israel. And as stories go, this one is not always as expected. It has different twists and different turns in it. You know, a lot of times we watch a movie. My favorite movies when I watch a movie is I want a movie that you're thinking to myself, oh, I know how it's going to end, I know how it's going to end, I know how it ends. Whoa, I didn't see that coming. And then there's this twist. I like that. Well, this is kind of what Paul is doing. He is being counterintuitive. He is saying, here's the story of God, and it's been the story of God, God's sovereign from the beginning. And he's applying it to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It culminates its goal is in Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. And so, friends, hear the word of God. Romans chapter 10, verses 5 to 13. Here's Paul, and he goes now back to Moses and the Exodus. He says, for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness, based on faith, says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Oh, what a promise. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray together. What a rich passage, Father. And we do pray that, Holy Spirit, you would be our teacher, that you would open our hearts to the living and active Word of God, the Word of God that is useful for teaching, useful for correcting us, for changing our distorted views, for rebuking us, and for training us in righteousness. May you have your way with our hearts. May we be open to what you're teaching us to change and transform us in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes we like to make things more difficult than they need to be. I know I do this. Let me tell you a story. It's from years ago, for example, the time I had returned home from college. Moved back home for the summer, moved back in the house, thought I would do something helpful for my mother. One of my college roommates had come in, moved into the house with us, so we were there, and we thought, this is good. We should be helpful. We should do something. And so we got this great idea. 
we were going to build a vegetable garden for my mom to enjoy fresh vegetables. Those of you who know me well are already laughing. Probably a good thing. Because there's one problem. I have no skills in building a vegetable garden. I had no clue what I was doing. I'm a dreamer. Big visions, big plans, big dreams, very little skills. I'm good at making a fool of myself sometimes in public. And this is way before the internet. See, now I can at least mask over it sometimes by that favorite thing called Google and look it up. This is before that. So I'm left to my own devices. Talk about a recipe for trouble. And so take as well the fact that if something can be done simply, now let's make it as difficult as possible. So after, this is the easy part. Mom had said, use this plot of land. I don't remember what it was, 10 by 10, some small. She says, I'll, I'll let you ruin this part of the yard. And so we go in the backyard and, you know, dig up all the dirt, rototill it, do whatever, see, big words like that. I can do all of that kind of stuff. Get there, I made it look all smooth, all clean. We get man of the earth, here we go. Going to get this done. And then we're ready to plant plants. And I'm excited. I'm going... Big visions, big dreams. See, this is I tell the, the elders are laughing at this point because they're going, yeah, this is Jeff. He hasn't changed much in 45 years. Okay? Tomatoes, cucumbers, peppers and stuff. And remember, small plot of land. Why have three or four tomato plants if you can have 48? Yes, I bought 48 tomato plants. And 12 cucumber plants and pepper plants. And then I said, not... We need to have broccoli and squash and watermelon and strawberries. And my mom just looks out there and she says, Jeff, did you ever consider that these things might grow and choke each other out? Never thought about that, Mom. <laughs> Which is exactly what happened. I made something that should have been so simple, so difficult which is exactly what we do very... You knew this had to tie into the sermon somehow, right? Which is exactly what we do all too often with our relationship with Christ. We make something that... Now, when I say simple, I didn't say easy, but simple. The text tells us. What does the Scripture say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Friends, there it is, the message of salvation. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Friends, this is the most important and significant message in the world. It is what we need most. We need the message of salvation. And in this passage, Paul teaches us the simplicity. I didn't say it wasn't challenging, but the simplicity of the message of salvation through Jesus Christ. What is the Holy Spirit teaching us about the message of salvation? Two things. We learn two things here. We learn the content of belief and we learn the consequences of belief. First, the content of belief. And we need to learn a little context, because the text begins, it goes back to Moses, 
and specifically back to Deuteronomy chapters 28, 29, and 30, where Moses, in preparing the people of God to enter the promised land, is reviewing God's covenant relationship with them. Moses is nearing the end of his life, and he won't be going into the promised land with him. That's going to be passed on to his protege, Joshua. And so he's preparing them, and in chapters 28 to 30, Moses tells the Israelites exactly what is going to happen to them throughout their history. And it's simple. If Israel keeps God's commandments, they will be blessed. And if Israel fails to keep the terms of the covenant, curses. The text puts it this way. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. And remember, righteousness is this status of acceptance and favor with God. And Moses is writing about that status, that favor, that covenant blessing, that objective status that is based on the law. That the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Simple enough, right? Do what God requires, keep the law, and God blesses you. Don't keep the law, and you are under God's curse. Specifically, for Israel, that meant exile. And that is precisely what happened to them. They failed to keep God's perfect law. Failed to do what God requires. And they were sent into exile. Abandoned from their home. Sent away. That is what Deuteronomy chapters 28 and 29 are all about. Now if it stopped there, the situation appears hopeless. Helpless. Powerless. But Deuteronomy 30 follows and brings a fresh word a word of grace, a word of mercy, a word of hope. One commentator puts it like this. It says it won't be a matter of people needing to climb up to heaven to get at the law. They won't have to go across the sea to find it. It will come and find them. Doesn't that sound hopeful? Then exile will be over. The curse will be undone. Israel will be saved. But here's a key question. What will look that look like when it happens? And here's where the story in Paul's day takes a twist, takes a turn. Because it is in Jesus himself that God has unveiled his salvation. God has brought it near to them so that all who openly acknowledge Jesus as Lord and believe in their hearts that God raised him from the dead, they are the ones, they are those whom God will save. Now what does this mean? Does this mean there's some rote formula? Okay, wait a second. I'm, I'm paying attention. I'm listening. Confess with your mouth. Tell me what to say, and I'll say it. No. It's, it's not like that. Because when he says, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, he's using the rhetorical device known as Hebrew parallelism, and he's talking about how we transfer our trust. That's why I said it's simple, but it's challenging. Because guess what? We all have it. Remember I said we're all allergic to God. We all have this trajectory where we want to do what? We want to be good enough by ourselves. It's like we're all two-year-olds. You know what two-year-olds do as toddlers? Let me, let me, let me. I can do it. And salvation, and this is the simple but challenging part, is let Jesus, let Jesus, let Jesus. And so you must confess with your mouth, which means acknowledge something and believe something. What is it we are to believe? 
What is the content which we must believe and embrace? One of the things we have to do, and this speaks directly to the culture today, because the culture says you cannot be saved by believing in truth. You just say, it doesn't matter what you believe. Just believe in believing. Can I tell you that this text is telling us directly there is a body of truth that we must embrace? There is a body of truth that we must believe. See, we live in an age and in a culture that says, as long as you believe, it doesn't matter what you believe. Friends, that is not the message of salvation according to this passage. So what is that body of truth? Well, it says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. See, here's the truth. Here's what you need to believe. Jesus is Lord equals his person. And raised from the dead, think about it, presupposes his death. If you're raised from the dead, you died first, and then the resurrection. So what are we talking about? What is the body of truth that you must believe to be saved? You must believe in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Notice what this doesn't say. It doesn't say you have to believe in every fine point of Presbyterian doctrine to be saved. Now, am I saying by this, some of you might be on the edge of your seat going, oh, be careful, Jeff. Are you being anti-doctrinal here? No. I'm just saying not every fine point, not every jot, not every tittle of Presbyterian doctrine is a salvation issue. Salvation revolves around the person and work, the centrality of Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Does that mean other doctrines aren't important? Of course I think they're important. In fact, I can study theology with the best of them. I love doing that. But Jesus is Lord. That's the, centra- that's the central message. And think about this in context. Paul is saying he is the world's true Lord. Think about what a confession of that magnitude would mean in the context of the church of Rome. See, think about this. If Jesus is Lord, who is not Lord? Caesar. And last I heard, that guy, I don't know a lot of world history, but that fellow Nero, not such a nice guy. He wasn't really fond of Christians, right? So talk about a political, subversive message that could get you killed. There's a cost to this confession. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He says, Jesus is either liar, lunatic, or Lord. Jesus did not leave open to us the option of him being some great moral teacher. He did not leave that open to us, nor did he intend to. Tim Keller, I love how he puts it. He says, see, the one thing Jesus Christ does throughout all his teaching over and over again is he tries to get you off the fence. He is trying to get you off the fence today. He is basically saying, crown me or kill me. I am either the Lord or I am demonic. You can either make me the very center of your life or you can hate me and have nothing to do with me and do everything you can to stamp out my memory. But anything in the middle is a lack of intellectual integrity. That's why I said the confession Jesus is Lord is simple yet challenging. 
because the confession of Jesus as Lord and then living out that confession of Jesus as Lord, two different things. Let's be honest, we all contradict our confession all the time, which is why we have to come back. This is what repentance is all about. This is why in our liturgy we do a confession of sin. What do I say in that confession of sin? Do I say, let's get our acts together? No. I say, let's run back to Jesus. Confessing his lordship, returning to him as the author and perfecter of our faith. See, we need to remember the lordship of Christ. Years ago, there was an InterVarsity Christian Fellowship worker by the name of Barbara Boyd, Boyd, and she taught Tim Keller, and she put it this way. She says, if the distance between the earth and the sun was the thickness of a piece of paper, if the 96 million miles between the earth and the sun was the thickness of a piece of paper, do you realize the distance from the earth to the nearest star would be a stack of papers 70 feet high. Just the diameter of our little galaxy would be a stack of papers 310 miles high, and our little galaxy is just a speck of the universe. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1, Jesus Christ holds the universe together with the word of his power. Jesus Christ holds the universe together with his pinky. Do you ask somebody like that into your life to be your assistant? Simple but challenging. Acknowledge and confess Jesus as Lord. Center of your life. Get off the fence. If you're neutral, if you say, well, he's a good guy. He's an example. I'll try to live up. You don't get it yet. Transfer your trust from yourself to him. And you will be saved. Now, we don't do this, right? Which is why the next part of the body of truth is the work of Jesus Christ. And believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, which presupposes what? That he died for your sins. See, the context, this is why I read out of the earlier part of the passage, and we looked at God's covenant relationship as it's revealed in those chapters of Deuteronomy. It's really simple. Keep the law, do what God requires, and you will live. Don't do what God requires, and you experience death. You're under a curse. You're in exile. But do you know what Jesus' death means? Jesus' death means he received the curse we deserve in our place as our substitute. And God raising him from the dead means that God put his divine stamp, his divine approval, his divine vindication, his divine yes on Jesus' work for you. Do you know what that means practically for us? That means God's judgment in the future has been taken care of in the past. God's judgment for the Christian, if you confess with your mouth, transfer your trust, and acknowledge Jesus as Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, your judgment is past. Do we live that free? I sure don't. That's why we need to keep coming together. That's why we need to keep being refreshed in this message. That's why we need to understand the second part of this, the consequences of belief. That's the content, the person and work of Christ. Now look with me at verse 10. He says, for with the heart one believes and is justified. What does justified mean? The first consequence. 
Justified is a big $64,000 theological term, right? Do you know what it means? Justification is a legal term by which, because of and based on the evidence, not of our life, but of Christ's life and death, God looks, God's a just God. He weighs things in the balance. And remember, Christ is our substitute. So now he looks at the evidence of Jesus Christ. And based on the evidence of Jesus Christ, he makes a legal declaration about those who acknowledge Jesus as Lord and believe in their heart God raised him from the dead. He says you're justified. That means you are declared forgiven and conferred the status of righteousness meaning I'm going to try to make this as practical as I can, God smiles upon you. God's favor is upon you. The text says, for with the heart one believes and is justified. That is based on the sure and solid evidence of the work of Jesus Christ. God declares you forgiven. Judgment is passed now for you. And righteous. You get the credit for what Jesus did. And then he says, for the scripture says, and he's quoting out of the prophet Joel here, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Friends, do you recognize, and maybe we don't recognize, how debilitating shame is and how much shame still controls? You know, shame is the reason why we fear rejection. We fear being honest with each other. We fear vulnerability. We fear transparency. We think if someone, yeah, if I'm, if, when they see you on the outside, especially Sunday, see, I wore my nice sport coat and I look good. You see me on the outside, and it's fine. But if everybody got to know me, shame says, I'm not likable. I'm not lovable. I'm reprehensible. And fear of shame really controls us. We need to remember that in Paul's retelling of Israel's story, he's reminding the Romans that Jesus came to restore his people from exile by going into exile for us on the cross. He was exiled from God, he was cut off, and he received the curse of the covenant so that everyone who believes in Jesus will never be put to shame. Dan Allender puts it this way, he says, the fear involved in shame is a permanent abandonment or exile. It is a fear that those who see our reprehensible core will be so disgusted and sickened that we will be a leper and an outcast forever. Which makes this next promise, this next consequence of belief so amazing. Because what is Paul saying to both Jews and Gentiles here? He says, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you know how mind-boggling that would have been in that first century context to hear there is no distinction between Jew and Greek? Jewish folks would be hearing, yeah, there's a distinction. We have the covenants, the law, the circumcision, we have all. And Greeks would be hearing, yeah, we're lepers, we're outcasts. And Paul's saying, no, in Christ, Christ is the glue that holds everybody together. In him, we are one, beautiful, worldwide, diverse, multicultural, multi-ethnic family of God. 
And that's God's vision of the church, this beautiful community, this beautiful community that he bestows his riches on all who call on the name of the Lord. The unifying factor is Jesus. Everything else divides. Politics divides. Sports divides. Everything divides. Jesus unifies. He's the bond. He's the glue. All things hold together in him. Friends, that's the message of the salvation. That's the message that's been bestowed upon us. That's the message we have the privilege of carrying to Lake Oconee and being a witness to this community. What a beautiful message. Simple but challenging. Don't follow me who makes a mess out of a vegetable garden. Believe in the simple message of Christ and the centrality of Christ. And let's take Christ to a needy community, to a needy, to a lonely world, to a shame-filled world that needs to be healed in Christ. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are Lord of all and that you bestow your riches on all who call on you. May we be a church that calls on you. Father, I thank you for sending Jesus to be the glue that holds all things together. May he be truly our blessed assurance. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine.
Friends, now receive the Lord's benediction. May the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now, this week, and forevermore. Amen.